Hello and welcome to episode 277 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And we're calling this episode Restart Your Engines because that's exactly what everyone's been doing. Bringing back out Mario Kart 8 Deluxe for that new DLC and we have impressions of the first wave of the booster course pass. The good, the bad, the debate of whether there was enough quote-unquote effort put into it, uh, as well as impressions of that other new Switch kart racer, Chocobo GP. Uh, plus, beyond our little racing thing, we're also, we also have impressions, or Angel, you have impressions at least, of uh, Kaiju Beat-Em-Up Dawn of the Monster, which yeah, kind of snuck out. What was that? Well, yeah, we played it together. Didn't yeah, we? but you definitely put more time into it than me. Okay, yes, we both have impressions. Fair. How could I put um, more time into something that we played simultaneously? Well, did you play it more after we played it? <laughs> I swear you did. Oh, but maybe no. not. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I guess that's I was really we'll confused about it. Whoa, that's that's impressive that you think that. Cool. I, I that's imp- <laughs> I like it. Wow, it's impressive you think I play my games. I know I set the bar low, Angel, but I do hold you to a higher gaming standard, I guess. But no, um, man, knowing that we played the same amount, that you still somehow thought it had more effort put into it. I guess that's true. Oh, I, I mean, no, that's true too. Our- you beat me at every game, but I, I guess it doesn't equal effort, but it does seem to imply something, yeah. Um, but either way, it's a whole lot of games this episode, uh, but we're also going to discuss new ways to organize those games, because Switch finally has folders, and uh, changes with some other games, namely on the mobile side of Nintendo's library with a couple of recent announcements. Um, so for all that, if there's any specific gamey goodness you're looking for, the blog post around Nintendo.com has the timestamps for it per usual, or you can just come along for the whole ride or... Should I say cart ride? No, I shouldn't. Um, but yeah, bad pun aside. Um, I think the through line here, at least as I was rallying off the topic, is there's a lot of play right now. Like even beyond Nintendo, it feel, and we haven't really talked about it because we haven't done an Arnon in a little bit, but it feels like 2022 is a lot of good releases already. Like anyone else get that vibe that this past quarter has just been busier or full of higher quality games than the last couple of years? Like it's really solid, it feels like. Yeah, I feel like everyone was talking about Arceus and then Elden Ring and then now Kirby. So yeah. And don't Horizon. forget don't forget Horizon, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Have you guys dabbled cool. in any of that yet? I mean I, I on the non Nintendo side I guess since obviously we've talked on about Arceus. None of that. Really? Uh yeah. I've dabbled in a lot of Elden Ring, so I guess it's not really a dabble. Just a full on plunge. Yeah, exactly. Is it is it living up to the hype? Uh, it, it is a Dark Souls game, and I love the Dark Souls game, so that's all I'll say. There's a lot of, it'll be interesting whenever we get around to doing it or not, because the Breath of the Wild inspiration is absolutely there. It's so interesting how many years it took for games to start to kind of run with the Breath of the Wild idea. Like, that came out, what, five years ago now? And only now does it kind of feel like in the last maybe year maybe starting with that ubisoft game um i forgot what it's called phoenix not phoenix rising um you know the greek god one uh it only feels like in the last yeah, year yeah i know what you're talking yeah about. right um but it feels like in the last year it's when like companies are finally like oh there was something there with the best-selling zelda of all time in this innovative gameplay i mean even monster hunter rise like kind of borrowed a little from it but it took a while like i'm you know i feel like back in the day when like mario 64 came out it was such a quicker iterative process but maybe that's just because the scale of the games was so much smaller back then for people to just sort of borrow quote-unquote the ideas um but yeah the the thing that i was kind of thinking about with the first quarter is like i wonder how much of that was the pandemic simply pushing back original release plans versus the industry 
finally recognizing it can actually release big games all year round to equally huge success. Like, I feel like for such a long time, the industry always kind of looked at uh, October to December as like the breadwinning months, and every other time of year is sort of where the lesser games go to sell less, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Like, this year is really showing that that doesn't have to be a case because we, we've said like three episodes they wrote now like legends sold what like six million copies in a week in january and elden ring i think already sold 12 million copies in like a couple of weeks and yeah it just seems like finally pacing is better with game releases which i'm all for even though i don't beat them like it's nice to have more time per game than what the industry used to do where it was all like scrunched into three months right don't you like normally get a rush when you have like a consistent like amount of games to buy every once in a while, especially Nintendo ones, so yes, but that rush can be equally rushy all year versus all slammed into like a six week window or three month window. Yeah, which that's is actually the worst. It actually it honestly yeah. doesn't feel good when there's like that many games coming out back. I mean, like right now, I guess probably someone could argue that that is happening. If you did play, you know, if you were really into Arceus and then Elden Ring and then Pokemon and Horizon before that. Damn, those people that have every console. I don't know how you do it if you play all of them. Yeah, I, I know. Or maybe I you just know. don't. I mean, I mean that's why people have backlogs, but yeah. They're, they're eating good. What was that, Ken? They're eating good, those people that, that have all the consoles. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, what was I going to say? Um, it is interesting how different. Well, actually, okay, three of them are kind of similar open worldy things Elden Ring, Arceus horizon at a very high surface level but it is interesting how like so different kirby is now that it's however the mario kart dlc or like it feels like we're now starting to see like some like lighter fare to break up some of the hardcore heavy duty gaming of the first two months um and speaking of i guess let's dive into the nintendo side of all that um with the mario kart dlc um it's been a week now since we got the first wave of the booster course pass which on paper Seems like it would be a relatively straightforward thing to discuss. You know, eight courses, yay or nay. But I think because of a lot of the choices Nintendo made with those courses and and everything, it's become a much more um, (laughs) complex conversation among fans online. So maybe it's best to sort of tackle this piece by piece, starting with perhaps the actual courses themselves. Um, As a quick rundown for those who have yet to try it, the courses are in the Golden Dash Cup, uh, Tours, Paris Promenade, 3DS's Toad Circuit, N64's Choco Mountain, and Wii's Coconut Mall. And then in the Lucky Cat Cup, we've got Tokyo, or Tours Tokyo Blur, DS's Shroom Ridge, uh, the Game Boy Advance's Sky Garden, and Tours Ninja Hideaway. So, any favorites, release favorites so far? Actually, Andrew, you're the only one that's played it besides me so far, right? Yeah, I've played it a decent amount, um, even throughout this week. Um, so, favorites? Least favorite? Um, Surprisingly to me, um, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I was gonna, you know, really like Coconut Mall again, or you know, some of those classics. Like the Game Boy Advance ones, obviously, I haven't played too much of because I didn't have Super Circuit, so mm-hmm. those were almost like new to me. But yeah, like the Sky Garden wasn't as fun as I thought it was. Gonna... I mean, well, no, it, it's a fun track. I just didn't love it as much as I was hoping I would. Like, Cloudtop Cruise, just because that one, damn, I love the heck out of that track. But, yeah, as far as favorites, I was just surprised to like the tour ones as much as I did. Yeah. I thought they were going to be a lot more simplistic. And, you know what, they probably are, because I forgot that on the on the, on the mobile, 
they are a lot shorter. They, you know, because they're designed for very quick bite-sized loops. So they pretty much combine what would be three tracks into one. And I felt like it really worked for the Paris Promenade. I just like as a track to race on, I really, really like that one. I don't know why. Like it, I think almost as much as Ninji's Hideaway. Ninji's Hideaway feels way more creative, but I think Paris Promenade. I just like. I don't know, just really like it for some reason. I'm just gonna go with that one, just because it. I That's think fair. it surprised me more than Ninja's Hideaway, because that one, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh, this looks cool. I'm like, oh, it is cool. But the other one was like, <laughs> and Paris, like this looks lame. Oh wait, no, it's cool. Yeah, I like yeah, the I, one. I, I get. That. I do think you're onto something with the tour courses being the standout. Like, hands down, they were my favorites too. I'm sure it's true for a lot of folks, really. You know, yeah, all, all purposes, for the majority of people, they're good. They're they may as well be brand new courses. But yeah, yeah, and and even if they're not brand new in terms of like you've seen the layout, like you you may have played them in tour, but even there, you're playing with like the okay touch controls or gyro. You're surrounded by all its like item and upgrade mechanics and whatnot. Like even if you do like those, like what you're now getting to do is play the tracks in like a normal traditional Mario Kart saying with normal traditional controls and that does present them in a different light which it, yeah I think it feels fresh even if you are familiar with them and that's what probably exciting about it is it lets um, some of those tracks and their very cool ideas reach kind of a broader or maybe now more core if you think about it, Mario Kart audience than what was in tour so yeah it's definitely even if you've seen them before it still feels new because it's presented in a different way um you're mentioning Paris. I think the absolute best of the bunch for me is Ninja Hideaway. Um, you're right. It does look very cool. And I think what's cool about it is Aesthetically, the way... it's easily the best one by far. Oh, yeah. I, I even mean a layout. Like, I think the way it's like the two double-deckered tracks with different points where you can kind of switch from the bottom to the top or vice versa is, like, really clever. And it kind of reminds me of um that battle mode course that visually actually is quite similar. Um, Dragon Palace? Is that what it's called? You know what I'm talking about? I think because they both kind of play with... Maybe no, it, it's a battle course though. Oh, then yeah, it would be. Yeah, I think sharing pals. But either way, it it like they both play with layers of like verticality very similarly, and that, and that's kind of fun. And yeah, it's like visually, it's it's you know really cool looking. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think Ninja Hideaway, it just it it it's interesting because it didn't just stand out to me against the course pass, but kind of for me to the whole roster track. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best track by any mean, but layout-wise, not visuals, layout-wise, it's certainly one of the more interesting ones in the collective game now. Like, it, it, it has, like, the, it's probably the only course pass track that really, in my mind, captures kind of the dynamic nature of some of the original Mario Kart 8 tracks, like, some of the best of those. So I, I put it, like, not only do I like it, I put it in, like, the top five or eight for sure of the entire game, at least for me. There might be some recency bias there, because it's so fresh, but, like, I really love that track so much and the music remix it has. Um, I think for me, cause you're saying Paris is your favorite and you like how they kind of like, you know, combine different tracks. I think for me, the other ones aren't, they aren't quite as elaborate in design. Um, but I do appreciate how, like you were saying, they kind of retrofitted the mobile first choices to fit into Mario Kart 8. Like, you know, you're mentioning the other races in eight or, or in tour are uh short and yeah like all tours tracks i think are only two laps in the mobile game and if you don't play for a prolonged period of time like if you only played it when it came out or you only check in every so often you may not realize they, they actually do variants of all those original courses over the many in-game events on tour 
So, you know, the, the idea, of course, being you can complete races faster while on a bus or whatever, which is why there are only two laps. But you need to do more races more frequently to really maximize your upgrades and whatnot across events. So, you know, they need to offer that extra variety. But at the same time, the developers don't want to have to necessarily make all those assets so they can just tweak and reuse Paris or Tokyo or LA with these different layouts and whatever. So what's kind of cool with 8, um, where this is obviously less of a factor, is I do like how they shook up the routes in between laps on those courses, like you were saying, Andrew, how they kind of like merged them together. Or really it's the third lap they changed the most, like the other two are pretty minimal, if at all. Um, and I think it's a cool idea, but I don't know, I feel like the execution on that was was not as flawless as it could be. Like one thing I always thought Mario Kart did really well um, is they make sure you know where to go. <laughs> like they are extremely good at designing you know, the the design, the geometry of, of the stuff around it. Like, it's very clear what's accessible as a race, as a little go-kart, and what's, like, background, or what's just aesthetic. And these switch-ups of the tour courses in Paris and Tokyo, I noticed they, they kind of don't follow that motif as well. Like, so much so that my first couple playthroughs, I basically kept turning into the temporary walls and fences because they didn't stand out in the way I'd expect from Mario Kart, particularly in Paris. Um... But at the same time, like, the changing routes do give the vibe of, like, an early 2000s or late 90s, like, arcade racer, which, which feels different for a Mario Kart game, and that, and that's fun. So, I do see why you like it, but yeah, it definitely feels a little removed, in a way, to me, from what, like, a typical Mario Kart, like, layout would be in terms of, you know, how it guides you through the track. Um, but I do, I do really like them, too. I think, I think part of the reason is, in a weird way, they kind of remind me of Mario Kart Arcade GP. Which I don't think had real locations, but they had very heavily inspired by real location tracks. Um, and I, I still think Mario Kart RK is vastly underrated. I would love to see it come to Switch in some capacity, or at least maybe some tracks from Arcade GP as part of the course pass. Mm. But, um. Yeah, they would definitely need to retrofit those as well, cause they're, those are very wide and very simplistic, but that's also yes. because the game controls way differently. It's way looser. Uh, yeah. Um, but in a weird way, like, I did get the vibe, specifically the Tokyo track gave me very strong arcade GP vibes. And it, it, granted, Tokyo is very narrow, but like, if you take like the, the wideness of some of the Paris track and then like apply some of the aesthetic of the Tokyo track, it feels like the two of them combined are kind of Mario Kart arcade GP-ish to me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, uh, it'd be cool if they could find a way to fully bridge all these previously isolated Mario Kart experiences. Cause you have like the mainline games, you have the arcade games, you had, up till now, the mobile game. Live circuits, I'm sorry, it has to live on its own. There's no way. I mean, home circuit. There's no way they're going to make that work. But, um, because, you know, you build your own track. But, like, there, it would be cool if they could sort of actually fully bridge these previously isolated experiences somehow. But we're getting there. We're inching towards it. Um, but the bridge they do have, and that does work really well, are the retro tracks. So we, you know, we, we obviously love the tour tracks. You did mention Sky Garden, like, kind of pales in comparison to Cloud Top Cruise. What makes you say that? Just the visual aesthetic of it, mainly. I think it could look a lot more interesting. But, I mean, it also does look like it does on the Game Boy Advance. I mean, I'm comparing mm-hmm. a Game Boy Advance track to a track that was designed on Mario Kart 8. It's obviously going to feel underwhelming when you have a a cloud level where you're literally driving on the clouds, going from different cloud sections to cloud sections, to a ship, to other things, to just sticking on a brick road in like kind of a basic like racing for like layout but 
I don't, yeah. I, I, I'm really hard on it because Cloudtop Cruise exists. Otherwise, it would be like a, it's a fine track. So it's almost like the redundancy in a way, right? Like, because there's already kind of been yeah, done that in a better have, way. Yeah, it, it literally just feels like a weaker version of a track that's already in the game. So almost like, I mean, kind of like Toad Circuit to a lesser extent. That one is mm, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember it. Yeah, it's still as unexciting as it, as it was in Mario Kart 7. Like, even in Mario Kart 7, it's, it's designed to be like a starter forgettable track and it being yeah. there like kind of the same thing with also um shroom ridge like that one mm-hmm. also nothing really special felt about it. it just almost felt like a weaker you know toad's turnpike like i feel like the, if they wanted something a little more they think they could have gone with the one from the gamecube that also has traffic and also has that coming. little golden gate bridge or the one that takes place at night that has like the crisscrossing intersections with the giant train as well yeah but, i you know like you said, they could also be coming in later, but some of these, yeah, just kind of feel almost like filler. Because, you know, 48 additional tracks, maybe I I haven't done the math on how many tracks can potentially be omitted or if this actually can't get us everything. But if some things are going to get omitted, I really hope they're not, I guess, ones that should have been there. Well, we'll see. But yeah. yeah, the... um to kind of go down the list of all the tracks you just name dropped. Yeah, I, first I agree. Yeah, Toad Circuit is probably the weakest in that. It is a bit, it is very, to me, it felt very much like Mario Circuit, which is already in the game, except Toad Circuit has a uh, giant, I guess, Thanksgiving Day Parade style Toad Balloons. Yay. But what makes it weird to me is like, if it is an intro track, why not make it the intro track for the cup? Like they put it in the second slot of the Golden Dash Cup instead of the first, and that just felt like, you go from this more dynamic, interesting Paris track that, you know, you're discussing about a little bit ago to Toad Circuit. Like, it's a weird, it's a weird transition. Like, I don't know what, where they came up with that. But I, I, I don't have as much of an opinion about Shroom Ridge as you do, to be honest. I, I agree it's maybe not the best dodge traffic course on tap, but like, I do like, you know, you, you, it, it's unique in that you like hug the cliff side and because you do have to bob and weave around different cars and the curves of the cliff and everything, like, it does, at least feel a little more dynamic than Toad Circuit. Um, so it's a little better, but the one I'm going to push back on a little is actually Sky Garden. Um, you're right. It is very similar to Cloud Top clue, uh, Cruise, but I personally, and I was saying this to you, we were playing this together the other day, so um, you're, it's going to be redundant for you, Angel, but I personally um, connected with it really for just nostalgia reasons. Um, it's one of the courses I best remember playing in Super Circuit back in the GBA days, along with maybe, like, Yoshi Desert. And I have this very distinct memory as little 12-year-old Jason in my Montana days. Um, I was in the back of my car as my parents were driving up, or my parents' car, as we were driving up to Glacier National Park, and there was a moment where the turns I was making in-game, like, synced up with the highway we were driving on. Like, granted, it wasn't every turn or the same degree of turn per turn. Like, it wasn't as radical of turns. Like, that'd be absolutely stupid for a highway to have that many hairpin turns and it wouldn't get you anywhere in real life but it was enough overlap that felt like it kind of synced up and as i like was kind of thinking about that after i told you about that story angel maybe that's kind of why these tracks are there like having that little dose of nostalgia when when revisiting it now is cool for the person who has that nostalgia and how you presented modern graphics like that kind of goes back to that thing you always say Angel about like remembering a game as being better looking than it really was like I know you always draw that comparison with Luigi's Mansion 1 um, so having the rose tinted glasses of Sky Garden actually become 
like reality and then some, you know, not just it looks like really good sprites, but now here it is in 3D. That does add to the experience. So I have to imagine that they pick some of these tracks, not just for how dynamic they are, for this or for that, but probably because they resonate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like for us, there are better variants or whatever, but for like every Sky Garden for me, I bet there's a toad circuit for someone else because here's the crazy thing that's going to make us all feel old. Mario Kart 7 came out 11 years ago now, which is crazy. Um, but that means Toad Circuit. I thought we agreed to stop talking about dates. Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. That's right. (laughs) Well, my point was for someone that grew, for little Timmy at the time with Mario Kart 7, Toad Circuit was his introduction to Mario Kart. And now being able to play it again in HD on his Switch, like there's something there. So the way Nintendo's cherry picking these might not be strictly off the dynamicness of the track, but also like, they're standing in Mario Kart history, if that makes sense. Um, but where there is, I think, real legit criticism, to your point, Angel, is um, because the tracks don't change a whole lot in a real way, they're just HD recreations, it is hard to make them stand out in any actual gameplay sense. Like, Nintendo's leaning strictly on, like, nostalgia plays. for. Um, and when they do change tracks, like, there's two tracks I haven't talked about yet, and when they do change them, they do them in kind of Reasons I'm not sure why they changed them, like Choco Mountain and Coconut Mall. Those are the only two left on our list here. And like Choco Mountain, they seem to decide to just, I guess they wanted to make it a bit more dynamic early on with like more twists and turns instead of just a straightaway right off the bat, which I imagine that's because the original is relatively short. Um, so this would kind of bring it into parody with like the average length of the other tracks. But yeah, it, I don't know. I, I didn't expect them to actually like full on change the course and i know that's something that i think we both know when we were playing together right angel like they just like it's a different course for the first like quarter yeah yeah Yeah. i i I do like that they added paratroopers cheering you on like that's kind of a clever way to figure out how to crowd in what would almost unrecognizable but yeah 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 no it really is especially like the cavern with the crystals and stuff but um yeah the the it's a weird thing to harp on but i really do like those paratroopers i don't know why i mean it undercuts the foggy like you're out in the mountains alone vibe of the n64 original but like i thought that's a really clever way to kind of make it feel like it's more of a race day in the mountains by having those guys floating around um the other change this one's a weird one me what what did you think of coconut mall angel on in the past because they they tweaked some stuff it was just a fun track i don't think it was ever my favorite and i don't think it's one i ever manually pick whenever i'm like selecting a track but, you know, the song was fun. The layout, I mean, I like the escalator aspect. I love the the multiple floors, riding through one of the stores. I mean, that's all still there. But, I mean, they made the escalators a lot more, you know, they made it a lot clearer which one is going up and which one is going down. Yeah. And some yeah. other stuff. But, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's still my favorite. I do not understand. I mean, I know the music's good, and and like I was saying with Ninja Highway, like the music remixes in general are super strong in the course pass, even if you know they're not big bands, quite big band like the main game. But um, I don't quite know why this track is so beloved. I, Kevin, did you did you play much Mario Kart Wii? Did you ever was Coconut Mall ever a thing for you? Like it is for no. so many people. Like no, I, I never played Mario Kart Wii. It's honestly, I'm gonna say, uh, hot take. My least favorite Mario Kart. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that take is shared across a lot of a lot of people. Oh, is it? I always thought people the, loved the speed it. Speedrunning community, but I don't. Know. I I for some reason thought everyone loved Mario Kart Wii, and I was the weird one. But cool. If that's not a hot take, I'm glad I'm in the majority and don't have a weird. But anyway, yeah, the um, Coconut Mall. I, I do like they they added a lot of detail in in uh 
the course pass that wasn't there before. Like they they added more stores and stuff. So there's like there's some weird ones. Like Kamek has a bookshop, which it's weird that a known like if you just step back and think about it, it's weird that a known baby kidnapper and criminal is able to run a successful chain of bookstores, no questions asked. But I guess that's just how Mushroom Kingdom works. But generally, though, there are some like fun little nods. Like if you do a time trial and just drive around. Um, there's some obscure stuff, like there's one that actually, one store specifically references Double Dash's Dino Dino Jungle track. Maybe that's a hint that's coming, I don't know, but uh, Game Explained did a neat, like, three, four-minute video where they sum up all these different little stores and their references, which go, which are some deep cuts, so uh, we'll link to it on the blog post for anyone who's, who's curious. But they do all that, and that's great. And at the same time, they remove, like, the most dynamic part of the track, which, Angel, you didn't even touch on. You're mentioning the escalators are easier, but at the end of the track, in the home stretch, in the original, they had all these me's pulling out of the parking, pulling in and out of the parking lot. Um, here, there's just a couple giant stationary cars. And it, it it's not a deal breaker. It just feels like an odd conscious decision to like scale back the complexity. Because that part you really had to weave. And now it's just like, oh, one little flick of the stick and you're done. So I don't know, that, that was kind of a weird choice. Given how like true they're staying to some of the other tracks, I'm just arbitrarily aside that I don't quite, I don't quite get. Um, I I I probably was a few people that bothered considering you didn't even mention it, Angel. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I did it. I don't know. The to say there. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, I I do think the way we're kind of talking about like what's the same in the tracks, what's different with the tracks, how samey they do feel overall, the retro tracks, it does bring up the other half of the conversation about the course passages, and it's kind of the elephant in the room with the whole thing. Uh, you know, this hot debate among fans about the so-called quote-unquote effort being put into this DLC. And I say so-called and I use the quotes because, frankly, I don't like that framing whatsoever. That feels unfair. Like, effort, I, in fact, is it's still a huge effort to port over these tracks and these assets from Tor to the engine of Mario Kart 8. You know, to tweak the lying and the textures about utilize what 8 has on tap in its engine to adjust or merge the track layouts and scale, to polish it up to, you know, whatever expected level of quality it is to be worthy of appearing in Nintendo's, like, second best-selling game of all time instead of in a free-to-play game that's available on, like, five different variants of smartphone where they can get by with a little less spit and shine. Like, effort, to me, is not the word here. It's not like the devs are being lazy, as people are saying online. What I think people maybe are really getting at and should probably be referring to it as is the chosen direction of the DLC. Because at the end of the day, we are looking at mostly carbon copies of older tracks. There's been no real adjusting beyond, you know, removing the Mies and Coconut Mall. There's been, you know, no adding the flying or underwater segments, making it work with the anti-gravity stuff. There's no real art style adjustments. It's kind of just grabbed and inserted from tour and presented as is. And that's not necessarily an effort question. That is a direction questions the question becomes does that actually bother you as you're playing through it angel did that or even kevin as you see the footage does that stand out as a problem for mario kart 8 or is is, is it war under the bridge just while i'm playing like it's only when i'm looking for it and when i'm watching footage but no it doesn't bother me like it was just like oh yeah that's you definitely yeah like when you notice it it. you'll definitely notice it but then after that like it, it doesn't matter yeah. Yeah. Kevin, so it I mean, doesn't bother me at all. Okay, good. Cause yeah, same. <laughs> Cause for me, ultimately, and I don't under, I know people just like to complain on the internet, but there's such like a 
conversation around this. It just felt like, I don't know, like ultimately it doesn't really bother me either because the value of what we're getting is still so high. Like we're talking 50 cents a track from here until the pass is done in March 2023. Even even less if you want to like figure out the exact math of it being included in your Switch Online expansion pack subscription. Like you could argue, oh, it's quote unquote free. Or you could say, oh, well, if I divide up to $25, I pay or not $25, the $50 I pay a year, like some goes to Animal Crossing, some goes to Switch Online, some goes to Mart. Like you could do the math and it's still a bargain. So if I at least look at this and do like the cost-benefit analysis in my head, I feel like I feel like we're all coming out ahead here. We're getting double the courses, fresh content to play with friends, a fun sort of hype cycle for the next year or so that's kind of like a diet version of the Smash Fighter reveals, and it's all 50 cents. A bag of Skittles costs more and lasts near, you know, doesn't last nearly as long. So because of that value, I feel like I feel like it's all three of us actually, but I definitely came in with a different set of expectations. Like absolutely, if you put two courses from say the Super Circuit era side by side, it's a noble difference. Like Ribbon Road is a complete reimagining of what a Game Boy Advance track can be, and Sky Garden is like we were saying before, you know, just an HD polygonal recreation of essentially the track we played in two thousand one. Um, and that, and that is stark if you actually sit there and look at it. But, but I, I draw from Ribbon Road specifically because it too was once DLC back on the Wii U. It was part of the $8 DLC pack that contained eight tracks. So that's a dollar per track, double what we're paying now. And yeah, they did throw in new characters and carts as well. So let's say, if we want to be fair, the track's worth, I don't know, 80 cents. Or I guess if you bought the two DLCs together, it was like 12 bucks. So the track's worth like 75 cents. But that DLC pack, was presented as a literal continuation of everything that Mario Kart 8 had to offer. What you gained in the DLC, the characters, the carts, they all retroactively applied to existing tracks as well as to the new ones. It was all this big, like, cohesive, here's the next step of Mario Kart 8. And here, I feel like that's not what the pitch has been. It was pitched, or at least implied to be on some scale, that maybe, you know, it's it's just an add-on like it's not part of what Mario Kart 8 will become it's just like a it's literally the name it's a booster you know the limited scope of the DLC is just the courses the your you, when you access them literally you go into a menu that changes colors completely in the Wii U one it just extended the existing menu like this all feels like it's kind of extras bonuses amendums like or not amendums that's not a word addendums is what I'm trying to say um like when when Smash got a new fighter it was in addition to the main roster and it lived on that same menu screen it looked native it looked like it should always be there. This, they're like literally throwing you to another screen entirely. And within the extras that screen provides, yeah, it's a little more throwbacky, and they have a simpler art style and they perhaps harken back visually to like new Super Mario Bros with like simple geometry and shapes while the rest of Mario Kart 8 maybe looks more like Mario Odyssey with individual blades of grass or intricate details. But like everything in the course pass is like consistent within itself as a collection of little extras or bonuses, if that makes sense. Like it, it, it feels like it's a separate thing that they're just letting you do if you have Mario Kart 8, not a continuation of Mario Kart 8. And certainly there is a disconnect that Nintendo probably could have better navigated. Like the art style shift, it is jarring if you stop and look at it because Mario Kart for multiple console games has tried to dabble in more realistic settings. You know, even as far back as like Baby Park on the GameCube, they sat there and did all the mechanics of the theme park rides in the middle of the track with, with their, you know, whatever bits the GameCube, 120 bits that the GameCube had at the time. But it it was a style choice that they did then, and they continued it with the Wii, and 
you know, it really hits stride in HD on the original Mario Kart 8. So I do get that it's drawing looking. Um, but I don't know. Like, it just seems like this is a self-contained separate thing. And I also get that you may think I'm making excuses for Nintendo. Uh, but what it really comes back to for me is that my perceived value based on all this is one where these aren't excuses but reasons for why it is what it is. Like, we're not in the same ballpark as we were with the original Mario Kart 8 DLC. There's something, you know, this is different. It's priced in a way that's different. It's presented in a way that's different. And I'm cool with that. It sounds like you guys are. Like, would I be mad if Nintendo somehow brought these new course pass tracks up to the, like, dynamicness or art style of the core game for the save $25? No, of course I wouldn't be like, why'd you do that, Nintendo? But do I feel like I'm being ripped off or let down by them not doing that? No, I I don't feel that either because, like, the cost per track is that much lower than the last time they did this. So it kind of makes sense. And honestly, if anything, I'm just... I'm just kind of excited to see how many more tour courses make the jump. Because, you know, we were saying the tour courses are the highlight. And if they give us, let's say, 16 tour courses with those changing track layouts per lap and some more dynamic designs like Ninja Hideaway, then I feel like we could just as easily look at this being the same track cost ratio as the original DLC. And then on top of that, just 32 presented as is, unchanged retro tracks are completely bonus at that point. So I guess this is a long way to say, and I realize I'm like, I'm arguing against no one because you guys are in agreement with me, but just just to the internet at large, I guess this is a long way to say the complaints of being lazy, effortless, whatever, they're very premature. First of all, they're unfair, but also they're premature. Like we have seven more waves. The developers already sat there and came up with all the cup names. You can see them on the menu and they reference everything from like New Super Mario Bros. to Mario Galaxy to Odyssey to 3D Land and 3D World and like let them fill those in. Let's see what happens. Let's see what tracks we get before we start freaking out that this isn't worth it or whatever because we don't know yet. And if there's 16 tour courses, that seems like it'd be pretty worth it. Um, Side note, if the last cup isn't uh, all Rainbow Roads, well, I missed opportunity. But yeah, that's my spiel. Um, someone, I'm arguing with someone well, on the internet, I'm sure. But yeah. Uh, what, one thing I will, I guess, concede now that I think about it is uh, if we step back, there is an argument to be made that this direction they chose to go for this whole booster course pass, you know, the branding, the track, the price, everything I was just saying, you know, explains why it is what it is. It is arguably one of the more transparent business-driven things Nintendo's done. I mean, beyond just let's make money, which of of course they want to do that and always want to do that. But I noticed of late, that Nintendo seems to be streamlining uh, streamlining its mobile offerings a bit. There's been like a few news stories where it kind of feels like someone at Nintendo was like buried deep in the numbers and has now realized, hey, uh, we kind of need to shore things up here and like gave a little PowerPoint to in- internally and they're like, oh man, you're right. There's there's some money being lost in mobile and this kind of feels in a way like they're this Mario Kart thing feels like it's kind of part of the shift they're doing. Like obviously. The big thing here is they're sharing resources. Um, you know, stuff built for Tor is now being used to generate Switch revenue. And the thing with games and services, is, as you guys know, is they have a roadmap, right? Like, if you want to see success, you stick to that roadmap as best you can for as long as you can. You got to spend money to make money and all that jazz. Um, and Nintendo has always wanted Tor to be a huge hit. They're constantly co-promoting it with Apple in the App Store. Uh, they obviously have the the potential to gain some, uh, I don't know what to call it, cross-pollination, I guess, uh, 
as like tour players now want to check out Mario Kart 8 because it has some of their favorite tracks and 8 players may want to check out tours see if there's tracks in the style of Ninja Highway that they don't have or whatever or the or Paris or Tokyo um, but also like 100% in my mind this entire exercise of the course pass is Nintendo trying to recoup some dev cost from tour because the fact is tour is not the runaway hit Nintendo probably wanted it to be uh, the analytics from Sensor Tower who tracks all the revenue for all the mobile games uh, they estimate it brought in $2 million in February, which is a decent amount of money, but Fire Emblem brought in $3 million, and stuff like Pokemon Go bring, brought in $25 million. So clearly, like, there's some room for Tor to have made more money, and I, I, there's definitely a part of me that feels like they're trying to counter the fact that it didn't. Um, but, but it's also part of that bigger, like, shift I was talking about, because then there's something like Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Again, not the biggest of performers. It made, according to Sensor Tower, an estimated $1 million in February, so half of what Mario Kart did. But again, Nintendo wants to get the most bang for their bucks. So initially, a little while ago, they introduced a subscription service into Animal Crossing Pocket Camp that lets you get stuff like a daily journal. Um, but it also, And what else does it do? It's a daily journal. It's like a newspaper or something, but it also expands your total item inventory with something called the Item Warehouse. And then a funny thing happened on Thursday. I got an email from Nintendo saying, actually, never mind. That item warehouse is going to become free to all players. Uh, <laughs> we'll credit you back if you have a subscription. I don't. But yeah, never mind. Ignore that idea. Nintendo uh, is basically, I would assume, saying, hey, if we want people to keep playing our game, we need to invest, you know, and to invest in in-app purchases and subscriptions. We got to make sure there's enough there's a way for them to keep up with like the central part of the game. So the central part of the game is you collect items and build your home. Yeah, you probably don't want to limit that too much because then people will just not play. It's one of those, you know, spend money to make money things. So they take the short-term revenue hit by opening up what was a premium feature. And then they use that angle to hopefully get more people to play long-term and then buy into other aspects of the game and make their money that way. So there's another kind of little shift Nintendo's doing with mobile. And then there was the big one, which was the Dragalia Lost News. Um... Like, we're talking small performers. Sensor Tower estimates that last month, Regalia Lost brought in only $200,000 in revenue. Um, and then, well, you know, Nintendo just announced they're going to wind down the game entirely. First, they're going to wrap up the main campaign by July and then eventually sunset the whole thing. And it's noteworthy for a few reasons, I guess. Like, first off, this was Nintendo's very first attempt at the whole gotcha system that dominates mobile gaming. So the fact they're now... It may be five years later, but the fact that they're now saying it's no longer working out, that does show that they're definitely actually assessing things at a level that they didn't before. They let it run for five years, and they're like, eh, okay, maybe not. Um, likewise, it was the only mobile game for Nintendo that wasn't an established IP, which I always found odd they never promoted it in like Nintendo's proper world. Like It was never in there is a smash bros tie-in like there's never a sticker or something to draw a bigger crowd assist trophy i don't know there's kind of let it be like its own little isolated thing and they they did some crossover attempts like i think they did mega man at one point or monster hunter or both but like they never looped it into like the nintendo ip world and that that always felt like a miss to me but um you know considering it had that working against it and from my from what i remember playing it a crazy overabundance of menus just to play the game it is commendable it lasted this many years but at the same time, like it does show Nintendo's reprioritizing a little if they're finally shutting it down. Um, when did I know Angel? You played it because we talked about it when it came out. Kevin, did you ever play it? Nope. You didn't miss a whole lot. I mean, it was. 
I appreciate that it was sort of a Crystal Chronicle style action RPG with some really nice touch controls and had some hints of tales in there maybe. But yeah, it was it was. I think I played it for like a week and that was it. I mean, Angel, did you spend any real time with it or did you just like boot it up, go, okay, and that was it? I played a very good amount of it. Like, I remember doing a lot of the campaign just because I did think it was fun. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, at some point I definitely, I just like dropped off. Um, I think it was one, I I guess I reached a certain point where I had to just start grinding a lot and then I was just like, "Uh, I don't know if I'm about this. Because, I mean, up until that point, it felt like a full game that I was just playing, like, on my mobile that had right. decent, like, progression. But, yeah, I mean, I thought Mega Man was there at some point, but uh, that almost got me back. But, yeah. Yeah, it just it, about it. it just felt like it untapped. I mean, Nintendo gave it time, for sure, but it feels like it had some untapped potential. Um and and I do think that now it's you know the real the first real victim of Nintendo kind of shifting its moral priorities and reexamining its own direct involvement in the space. Like there was a period there where there were Nintendo said they're going to release like two to three mobile games a year. Like there was Wall Street Journal or someone reported a Zelda mobile game was coming down the pipe, and you know we were supposed to be getting all these mobile games. That's kind of evaporated now. They're just outsourcing stuff like Pikmin and Bloom to Niantic. Um, so there, it does for sure feel like there's been a shift in how Nintendo views mobile. And Mario Kart seems like, like the course path seems like them recuperating some of the money from before, from their old strategy as they move into a new strategy. And I, I have to wonder perhaps, like, I wonder if Nintendo just realizes maybe a different audience. Like the, the core fans obviously play on Nintendo hardware and there's casual folk that maybe would be picking up the mobile games and there's certainly some overlap like Venn diagram style I'm sure but like how big is that because I don't I mean do you guys know any big Nintendo fans in your social circles who like seriously play their mobile games I know a couple online but like do, like do we even I don't even play their mobile um, games I much. think Victor was <laughs> the only person I knew that was playing that game but actually I did know someone that would play Fire Emblem a lot but I guess not really. I mean, I guess you with the Pikmin game. But even then, not really. Like, Pikmin is, like, the exception. Like, I, I, mean, I don't you're know. you're like, pretty obsessed. Like, I mean, you actually what? opened the app. I mean, damn. Yeah, that's too, so obsessed I opened the app. Well, see, that's because I think what I really like about Pikmin Bloom is it leverages what I'm doing on my phone anyway. Like, it does feel like it's augmented reality, even if I'm not doing the whole, like, Oh, I turn on the camera and the Pikmin are standing in front of me and I pet them. Like, I'm not doing that or I take their photo. But, like, the idea that, you know, just walking around and going about my day and stuff, I get, like, rewards. I can spend a minute in Pikmin, like, sending them out to pick up berries or fruit or, you know, new seeds to grow more Pikmin. Like, that, it's basically like a little pedometer app. And it, and, and for that, I really like it. it. You know, it's a little more than just a pedometer. And, and that's kind of fun. But, yeah, I don't, I mean, what is, like, I don't know what Nintendo What is the ideal... What do you guys play on mobile? Like, what is it that keeps you hooked to it? Because clearly Nintendo needs to, like, explore other options here. Quick little puzzle game zero for me. I never understood why Nintendo didn't. I mean, they tried kind of with Dr. Mario World, but even then, I feel like it wasn't quite... Yeah, I don't know. It felt too much like the others. But, yeah, puzzle games, I could see. I could see that. I think they should bring over, like... um, It'd be cool if they did the art style game for the DSi as a little mobile puzzle game. You know, maybe you, you get one or two for free, 
And then there's some in-app purchases that let you unlock the others or like you can through playing the first two unlock the others or some gotcha. I don't know like how they would do it. But yeah, puzzle games would be is a whole missing chunk, I feel like, for Nintendo. Um, I mean, where, are you, where are you playing on mobile besides um, Brawl Stars, Angel? Is there anything or is it just Brawl Stars at this point? And I guess Hearthstone. Yeah, I mean, all the Brawl Stars and Hearthstone. I mean, I did play this one music game for a while. Um, just because I really like the game itself was really, really fun. But the progression and how you get new songs, like, uh, it wasn't that great. I can't remember what it was right. called. Um, actually digging for it. Oh, here we go. Beatstar. Like that. And I only heard about that game because I actually had like some cross pollination with, um, with Brawl Stars. Like they had like, oh, I hear some Brawl Stars music from it. Were they like, we both have stars in our name. We must collaborate. Like. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> it's definitely possible. But, but yeah, like that game, like, honestly, like, I would recommend it just because it's really fun to play. But once like, you start hitting that wall where you don't get new songs regularly, then that's usually when it's like a good time to quit, like to call it quits on it. But yeah. Uh, pretty much I, I do wonder if that wall is also what Nintendo's having trouble navigating a little. Cause they did like Mario Kart tour. They did just raise their level cap and some other stuff when they introduced the Mii costumes a few weeks ago, in part because I think people were hitting that wall. And it, it, maybe it's just they're trying to find their footing because obviously companies that came up on mobile and squeeze every penny know exactly you know how to avoid that wall and how to keep people hooked with kind of some potentially shady psychological practices. But Nintendo's coming from places where games are like finite, you know, like finite, you know. So maybe they are. And they're working with DNA, and they're working with Niantic, and I get that. But maybe there is a little of, they just don't know what to do at some point. Like, how many times can you do a Dr. Mario World puzzle before you're just burned out? And they could keep adding doctors, but, like, once you're at Dr. Baby Wario, like, how much interest do you have at that point? Like, I, I wonder if that's part of the issue. Which is why some like yeah, Pokemon there's Go. there's no way that baby passed its, like, exit exam. No, no absolutely way. not. I mean, if, well, actually, if, if the Mushroom Kingdom... Who, as I was saying before, allows, you know, baby kidnappers to run bookstores. If they fell for three Goombas in a trench coat and made that thing a doctor, I think they're probably gonna let Baby Wario become a doctor. Unfortunately. I don't think anyone should ever seek out medical advice in the Mushroom Kingdom, is really the the takeaway. And likewise, should you go to Super Nintendo World and you get a cut or something, maybe leave that part of the park and go to a first aid kit at like Harry Potter World or something, because yeah, I wouldn't trust anything with Nintendo and medicine at, at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it, I think Nintendo's starting to realize they need to reevaluate a little and they are sort of, you know, to bring this full circle, this overall shift in Nintendo's attitude about mobile is, is happening. It's interesting because it's now directly affecting to a degree anyway, how Nintendo chooses to actually support a flagship game like Mario Kart, which is, Interesting, because I always felt like it was a siloed off side thing that would only feed into the main Nintendo ecosystem, but now it's actually having impact on the ecosystem with how they're doing the course pass. So, yeah. So that's, that's a whole lot of Mario Kart. Um, was there anything somehow we didn't touch on that either of you want to bring up with Mario Kart? Okay then. That's one of two kart racers we're covering this episode. The other, I don't think we have nearly as much to say about, but Angel, you and I tried this one last weekend. Um, Chocobo GP, or to be more specific, the light version of Chocobo GP. Um, so real quick, for those who don't know, 
Square Enix did something kind of interesting with their Final Fantasy Kart Racer here. Um, well, two interesting things. One, I don't know, if, well, trivia. This game was announced for the 3DS in like 2013 and then vanished off the face of the earth and then suddenly resurfaced on Switch and got released. So that's weird. Like this was one of the very first 3DS games announced. So maybe even earlier in 2013, maybe 2011. Um, but yeah, that for the release, once it finally came out, they have this light version that sits somewhere beyond a demo, but like not quite a full game either. You can try out story mode, but only the pro- prologue. That's pre demo y. Uh, you can join a friend's race if they own the full game and you don't. That's kind of like DS download play right there. But perhaps most interestingly, you can actually compete online in this version of the game, even entering the daily online tournaments they run, but you don't get to keep, uh, you don't get any of the credit and you don't get to keep any of the spoils for doing so. So you just get to, like, do it with no real reward. Um, but it is a good way to, like, experience the systems of Chocobo GP, the ins and outs of the mechanics, and, for better or worse, some of the pitfalls of the game. Um, Angel, what do you think of it? I've talked a lot. What do you think of it? I was just a little disappointed. Um, it, it's fine. It's actually, I think that's kind of fair. Like, it has some good ideas. I love the, the way the online is set up. Like, you know, um, when you're doing races against random people back to back, um, usually if you're just going race by race, that's perfectly fine. It's like nothing offensive about it, but this one at least gives you the narrative that you're in a giant tournament. So, you know, seeing that you started with like 32 players and 16, then eight and four and then one is pretty cool. And the way they handle the items is also pretty interesting and unique. Like I really like that aspect, but. Damn, the, the unfortunate thing about kart racers is that unless they feel just right, like, damn, they, they they just tend to, like, fall apart. Yeah. And the only ones that manage to do that is just, you know, Mario Kart, because they kind of, like, perfected that. And well, I would say, obviously, many times, like, Sonic Cross has recently transformed. And this one just doesn't quite get the feel of a go-kart. Or, or just, like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel good. Like, the drifting doesn't quite feel right. I don't know, this things about it that just bug me all over unfortunately yeah it i I feel bad for squaring it because they they didn't i don't think they could have anticipated how close the release of this kart racer would be to mario kart's dlc so it is really hard to look at this game in a vacuum and on Mm -hmm. on some level um that kind of helps it because like i think you're right like that tournament style online they do where like you start with you know there's a bunch of simultaneous races and then kind of whittles down with the top four from each moving on like that's kind of cool. It actually works very similarly to uh, how Switch Sports Online Bowling will work. So that's kind of, kind of interesting they're using the same system. But um, yeah, it, that was kind of cool and made it feel like there was more at stake than just a single race. Um, and I do agree, like, the IM stuff is kind of interesting. Um, actually, Angel, this was something I don't think we fully grasped when we played it together. But I went back and, like, read up on it and tried it again. And it is kind of neat in that every character, like a class in Final Fantasy, has their own special ability. Um, it mainly took us a few minutes to figure out that's what the giant meter in the bottom left of the screen is for. But basically, as you drift, which does use the same mechanics as Mario Kart 8 with, you know, multiple colored sparks. Um, but as you do that, you build up the meter, and when it's full or full enough, you can, um, unleash your special abilities. So, like, when we were playing as Chocobo, we are on our little Chocobo roller skates, and we get a boost. But other characters have shields or tackles, and presumably as you unlock more characters, it gets more elaborate. Um, and that's second, that's like a second level of abilities on top of the on track items, which are a bit more like Mario Kart. 
but there's some neat ones there too. Like there's one I think we both were kind of like, oh, this is cool, where you actually could set up a portal or use other characters' portals to warp yourself ahead on the track. Like you drop the start point, the end point, and the next lap you can use it. And it's kind of the closest I've ever seen a kart racing game to letting players do their own version of rubber banding AI. Like it lets you quickly catch back up in a way that is like not organic. And it, it, it's, it's kind of clever. But um, yeah, I think those were the good comparison. Stop. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other good thing <laughs> that I would yeah. really say about it is the fact that it's another racer that is doing something that I wish like Mario Kart would do already or just like branch into their own thing where they just have all these different, you know, Final Fantasy worlds clashing with each other instead of just Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a minor thing though. I'm not really going to blame Mario Kart for not being Mario Kart. Right, But right. at this point, I am kind of tired of like the Mario world of it. Like, I mean, the DLC in the last, in Deluxe and Mario Kart 8, like really showed that I think everyone's just ready to move on from just Mario aesthetic. Like, we just want to see more of Link and Kirby and blah, Smash blah. Smash Kart. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so would a uh, would a Nintendo Kart revitalize that like spark for you? That well, I mean, it's not that the spark is lost; it would just get me. Oh yeah, I guess it would. Yeah, because it would just get me excited for it. I mean, I'm still going to play every Mario Kart as they come out, but right. Yeah, I, I'm just tired of seeing like you know the same like Mushumi Hills and Rainbow Roads and Bowser's Castles. Like, I want to see. I mean, it's not to sound a little redundant, but like you know, a Ganon's Castle or a Metroid stage. Like this is so much cool potential and theming that you have with all these worlds. That, I, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it's a matter of time. Like there's no way we're not eventually gonna get there, but is it gonna I be think, like five years from now, ten years from now? I think it has to come sooner or later. Like it definitely I feel like it has to come sooner or later because I feel like I mean, we're gonna the, gonna go that's gonna have to that's start pulling they're gonna have to start pulling fighters that didn't originate in video games like Goku. So, like, maybe two or three Smash Bros. from now, like, Goku is going to be, like, a legitimate possibility. But, yeah. Well, I, I think Mario Kart and Smash are kind of at the same point where they're doing this thing where they're all-encompassing. And then what do you do after that? Because, like, obviously, not to dip back into Mario Kart, but I guess we're going to. Um, Obviously, the uh course pass is bringing back all these old tracks. But what Mario Kart always did was half new, half old. So if you have so many tracks that recently as 8 DLC... Like, what happens for 9? Is it like, oh, those tracks you just played that looked one way now look another way, but they're the same tracks? Like, they got expanded in some way. It's the same issue with Ultimate. Like like you were saying, like, what happens? They did all the fighters. Are you just going to do all the fighters again, or do they need to go in a different direction? So it kind of feels like if 8... If you argue that Mario Kart 8 with the course pass is trying to become kind of the Smash Ultimate of Mario Karts, then that means just like Smash, now it needs to reinvent itself in some way to stand out as 9 when 9 comes. So I would guess considering they've dabbled with success with Link and Splatoon and Animal Crossing all being in um, Mario Kart, I would guess Nintendo Kart's just the next logical move. Yeah. Yeah, like it seems yeah. like it, that just seems like the... I mean, you got Car Kirby. Come on. He's already in a, he's already eating a car. Just put him on a Mario Kart track. Someone modded him into Mario Kart 8 within like two days of him being an app. So it's doable. Um... But I do feel like before we go too far down the Mario Kart road again, uh, I feel like we do need to touch on one other part of um, Chocobo GP. Mostly it's just a heads up because, you know, there was some hey, cool Chocobu? stuff like the world. <laughs> Chocobo. I think I like swallowed my mouth. Yeah. Chocobo. Chocobo GP. No, but um, 
you know, we were, it, it's commendable that they mash the worlds up. It's cool how they do online. The, the IM system's interesting. I agree the cart handling isn't great, but sure. Okay. Maybe it's slipperier than Mario Kart, but whatever. Um, I know I, the one thing that I know too when we were playing Angel was like the whole thing, like I don't want to call it amateur, but like the sound mixing was really odd. Like the engine, the music and the sound effects were all the exact same volume, which made it like a weird, strange cacophony of noise. Like the whole thing has a budget vibe and how it looks, plays, you know, even the on-screen interface and menus. That's Hold fine. Up. What did you, what did you just say? Uh, a what of noise? Cacophony. Okay. Yeah, I thought I heard you say it like that. I always Isn't said it cacophony? cacophony. Yeah, cacophony. It might be cacophony. It might be cacophony. cacophony. Yeah. Listen, cacophony. I call them chocoboos. I'm on my own path here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is cacophony, and I think I just mispronounced it. Um, but yeah, the the what was I saying? Um, thank it, you for correcting me. Cavalcade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing has a budget vibe, and that's fine. It's not a knock against it. Wait, what was that, Angel? No, I just used cavalcade. At least we know that one is pronounced that way. Is that Cavalcade? I feel, like you guys just gonna, I feel like you guys are just going to send me down a road of mispronouncing things. By the end of this episode, I'm just going to be saying complete gibberish because of you guys. Um, But yeah, I, the, the point I was getting at with, cho- with Chocobo GP and his cacophony of sound is all that can happen. Sure, it could be a budget game and you can live with that. But there is an egregious issue we do need to touch on. And Angel is the first thing you said when you booted up, which was like, is this a mobile game? Because both of us had like almost a visceral reaction when we we started the game. There were daily events. There was a pass. There was a shop. All the sorts of stuff you'd see in a free-to-play game. And at first, it's like, oh, well, okay, we're in the light version. Maybe that's why. Uh, But then I did some digging. And no, the full game has this too. And you can't actually unlock um, anything in the light game like I said at the start. Uh, But you also can't really unlock anything in the full game without paying for it. Which is kind of interesting. There's some stuff, let me rephrase that. You can unlock some base stuff, but if you want cloud, you gotta pay for it. If you want future characters, you gotta pay for it. And it's not pay for it in a way like Mario Kart, you get some DLC and it comes with characters. Like, there are multiple currencies in Chocobo GP. One is called Gil, which you, I assume Gil, which you earn just by playing. And the other is, uh, Mithril, which is real money. Uh, to reiterate, in a game that already costs 50 bucks. So, the thing is that stuck out back at launch a few weeks ago. Uh, if you want to unlock Cloud, you could spend 800 Mithril or about $8 to unlock the ability to unlock him when you reach level 60 as part of the prize pass they caught. Or you could spend 2,400 Mithril, which is $24, half the cost of the full game to instantly unlock him. So first of all, if you complain that the booster course pass for Mario Kart wasn't fairly priced, well, here's a real example of not fairly priced, but more of the point, because he has his own special ability and all that, because that's one of the mechanics in this game, this seems to skirt, or maybe chocobo on roller skate, if you want to say, dangerously close to pay for pay to win. Which, in turn, undermines a lot of the cool stuff they're doing elsewhere in the game. So, that's a big red flag. Even if you can get over the other issues with the game, the fact that like it's pay to win on a premium game you already spent $50 on, that's not great. Um, the good news is the developers have put out a statement saying they hear the feedback and they're looking to shake things up a little, maybe be a little more player friendly, but um, the fact they even got to this point and that was the direction of the game from the start, whether it's a business call or a developer's call, who knows, the fact that that is the direction is a bummer. Um, 
And that, I feel like, is going to hinder a lot of the potential in what Chocobo GP does that is interesting and cool and has neat, neat ideas. Like, that's going to be held back by. So, I mean, because I was kind of like, you know, maybe if I want a different kart racer, if this was on sale down the line, maybe I get it. But, like, if, they, if any of the real unlocks are like behind these passes, I'm, I'm out. I mean, does that, is that like the final nail in the coffin, Angel, or am I, or do you think I'm overreacting here a little? No, I think, I think that's good. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure this gives anyone, I mean, maybe not this extreme, but like if you weren't a big fan of, you know, the Final Fantasy series like I am, um, you know, I was just kind of hoping to find like, you know, a sound kart racer. And, you know, I wasn't fully satisfied. So, you know, the fact that it was Final Fantasy didn't really do it for me either. Um, it was just kind of neat seeing Cloud on a motorcycle, but uh, or a chocobo skating. But you know, it's not that's not going to be enough to hook me. And I'm sure this is maybe what some people felt like when they were playing Nickelodeon All Star Brawl or Nickelodeon All Stars, right? Because you know, like maybe I probably didn't have, it probably just didn't feel good to play, even if like you know it was kind of almost all the way there for a Smash Brothers like game, and you know the variety of characters probably didn't do it for them either. So yeah. Unfortunately, that just feels like where it's it, it's going to end up. May I interest you in Bloodborne Kart? I saw that yesterday. The the, the PS1 D make, right? Yeah, it's the same uh, developer. Oh. How is it like a full on racer, or are they just sort of teasing? <laughs> I actually have no idea. Do... <laughs> it, it looks like a PS1 uh, racer. What what was he drive or ride? Is it? Car, I a bike? No, I, I I honestly haven't seen too much of it, but I I haven't either. That's all it, I it I was a funny it. idea. It's it's and the nice thing about that is he's doing it with a company that is okay with fan games a little more. Like if it was Nintendo, that thing would have been shut down yesterday. But, oh yeah, um, the PS. I mean, Nintendo's game was shut down last year before it was the, even thought of that person. Yeah, but they would have in, they would have gone into his brain and removed the thought. Yeah, it's um Nintendo's getting worse about that stuff. Like, they, the other day, um, a strategy guide from Japan for Mario 64 was scanned and put online, and it was really cool, because, like, the strategy guide used all original, like, clay, like, clay sculptures for the guide. So they, like, do a 3D sculpture of, like, Peach's Castle, and they'd use it as a map to, like, reference, here's this door, here's that door, here's this, here's that, and it all had, like, this original art. And it was this thing that came out in Japan and only in Japan and no one really saw it outside of Japan. And finally they uploaded it to the internet for everyone to be like, oh, what a cool way to do a strategy guide. And then Nintendo issued a copyright claim on the guide and had it taken down. And it's just like, who, who's making money off this right now? Like what? You're not selling this. <laughs> like what are you doing? <laughs> like they're getting, they're getting worse. And I get it. It's their IP, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think they may, I don't know if they published the guide, nor do I know if they, can own someone's essentially fan art that was being used now in a non-commercial way, but I guess I don't know. But yeah, they're getting. Sometimes I wonder about them. Sounds good, Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very Nintendo, but it's just like an extreme. Um, but yeah, let's let's uh, actually. You know what else is very Nintendo? Let let's talk about this here. You know what else is very Nintendo? Folders what? on Switch not being folders on Switch. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this thing now called Groups. They added it with the firmware for Switch uh, that came out last week, version 14. And after five years and countless fan demand, we are now the closest we'll probably ever be to folders, but they still aren't exactly folders. 
Have you guys messed with them at all yet on your switches? No, and like like many like my biggest gripe is like you know mainly because it's two clicks in. Like yeah, I know I could just tap left and then L one, no left A and then L one, instead of hold right then A then L one. I don't know that that's just one too many clicks. I'm sure I'll use it eventually. I mean I do have a ton of games, but. I think it's because of these COVID times. Before we would, my Switch was used often as like the entertainment center for like random games because it had all the party games, it had the random mm-hmm. multiplayer games, you know, all that stuff. So there was, and even um, I think the last time I used it in this capacity, like last year, um, I do remember like like scrolling through the menu looking for the Jackbox games, um, just because you know we don't, I don't play them often unless I'm over someone's house so there is use to them that i might still create some just for that but i kind of wish like i had the option to keep them in the front menu even if it's just like the first my top three groups and then just have like the first three sections still reserved for like recently used software but real yeah it's so close we could probably give some context what you're saying for those who haven't tried it yet well kevin did you try it first of all no Okay, so here's some context for you, maybe, as well. I don't know if you know how it works. So basically, no, I, I know how it works. Oh, okay. Or how how it for those... work. Or yeah, how exactly. It... <laughs> how it, how it's like so close yet so far. So yeah, you can make up to two a hundred of these groups. You can have two hundred games per group, and what they do is they let you batch them. But you can only do these batches and access these batches if, like Angel was saying, you go to your all software menu. You cannot on your home screen whatsoever get to these batches. So you still need to hit a few buttons just to get to the point where you can then access these, which seems so close. I think what I find funniest about this is, like, it took Nintendo less time to launch the Wii U. For optimization? For the main menu? No, I have have no idea what it is. But whatever it is, it took Nintendo less time to launch the Wii U, drop the Wii U, and launch the Switch, and it took them to add a basic operating system feature that has existed and was implemented better on the 3DS. Like, how is that possible? And, you know, as far as uh, I'm aware, none of the current generation of consoles seem to grasp that folks just want to organize games into little buckets, which is something that, like, Windows and Mac, you know, they've both been able to do since, what, like, the late 80s? Um, but either way, like, I, I, it's so close yet so far. But, yeah, so you, you can do these groups, and, and to commend them where it's due, when you organize these groups, you can organize them however you want. They won't shift to like a preset of like, oh, you're most recently played or you're you know, alphabetical or whatever. Like they will stay in the organized fashion you put them in, but you can only get to them if you're willing to go that extra step into your full software screen. And I don't know why, like Andrew, you were saying, um, you know, maybe I could pin it and it could be like behind a few of my recent games. Like I don't know why they don't just let you pin it and have the game shuffle like past it or around it, but. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted this at the time, but the whole thing really does remind me of Nintendo, like when they decide to do voice chat, but only in a companion app. Like, they get there. There's this demand for a feature. They see the value in implementing it, and then they just do one little thing that is kind of weird, kind of off kilter, and just overly Nintendo-y because that's just what they want to do, I guess. Frankly, like, it, it's a little disgusting. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like, it's um. 
Like it reminds me not even of like the voice chat thing, but they they have a habit of this. Like, do you remember when they used to drag their feet on demos? And in the early days of the 3ds, they would release demos, but they'd have like a play count. Demos felt play. like such a big deal. Like when they they, they came out with them, and they, they were because they for so long to, to even do it. get them. Yeah, and then you do get them. It's like you get three tries. And it's like, oh, well, if you have like three siblings, one of them just doesn't get to play it. Like if there's four of you, oh, one three just tries? never gets to play oh. it. Oh. Do you remember that? Like the early demos where they used to put a play limit? Or like they oh, do yeah. online, you know, back in the early days of Wi-Fi connection, but only with 16-digit friend codes. Like they're constantly one step forward and then one step over to a weird little spot on the left. And I don't – I don't get it. And I think what's weirder here is like we were discussing, they did this correctly on the 3DS already years ago. So they're like actively reversing course here. It's not like they just didn't get it and aren't going all the way. They like went all the way and are like, nah, let's back this up. And it's, it's so, it's so strange. I don't know. Um, but to end it on not as sour of a note, it is worth commending. Like I said, you can finally actually organize however you want your games within the folders and they will stay in that organization. It won't go into any automatic thing, uh, which is nice. And also this update included Bluetooth enhancements finally. So. The other pet peeve I've had with the Switch, I don't even think I said it on the show, but if you use Bluetooth headphones with your Switch, which I've started to do a lot, they maxed out the volume very low because they didn't want to, I guess, hurt your poor little ears. Uh, so they, they really lowered it and they had this setting where you could change it to be a little louder and it was called something aggressive, like, you know, like <laughs> dangerous levels enabled or some weird thing like that. So if you want to blow out your ears, they feel like, okay, go ahead. We warned you. Except even that one wasn't very loud. And finally, they now are letting it be normal volume. When you hook it in, it will start at a preset volume. You can scoot it up to whatever you want, but it can go to whatever you want. Fine. And um, also, you can control it with your Bluetooth headphones if the Bluetooth headphones have button or touch or whatever. So they got something right a year later with headphones. So maybe a year from now, they'll figure out how you can pin a group to your home screen. You know, it doesn't seem that hard. But... um yeah, it's a weird move. It 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 definitely feels like it's part of this bigger quality of life improvement push Nintendo's been doing in general lately with like the Switch Online stuff we talked about last episode and whatnot. This feels like it's kind of in the same, you know, the Nintendo.com revamp and the store revamp. Like it all feels like one cohesive push. Um, but yeah, this one just wasn't as good as some of the other stuff they've done. But it's better than nothing, especially if you download a lot of like the, uh, um, what are they called? Arcade Archive games. You can at least dump them all into one place now, which is nice. Um, yeah, folders. Any, any other nitpicks or thoughts on, on, sorry, groups while we're here before no. I guess back on track? Uh, okay. Angel, this is the so game that I said you put, what was that, Ken? They got so close. They, I know, right? It was so funny actually seeing, like, when it was announced, the, like, roller coaster everyone went on, because everyone's like, oh my god, oh my god. And then, like, 10 minutes later, all the posts were like, oh no, oh no. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was, yeah, it was quite, quite a ride. Um, especially because they dropped it out of nowhere. So it was like the extra excitement of like, what? Shadow drop? Um, but anyway, on to the next topic, on to the final topic, I think. Um, Angel, Dawn of the Monsters. Tell us about it. I know we both played it, but we, Sorry, as we established at the top of the show, Dawn of the Monsters. Oh, okay. I was about to say, <laughs> where are we going with this? <laughs> That that's a definitely an M rated experience. That other one, uh, yeah. but yeah, Angel, go for it. Yeah, I, mean, I guess as the resident, uh, I guess really big fan of kaiju stuff, mainly Godzilla. I mean, this one was definitely on my radar. 
um, but only because of the developers. Like I, I've said it before. Okay, I'll say it again right now. Like I am not a big fan of beat 'em ups in general. Um, yeah, pretty much almost all beat 'em ups. I think the only exceptions are the first two are the GameCube Ninja Turtle games. Um, something about them just felt a little more substantial. I think it's because they had a more robust combat system than some of the other beat 'em ups I played, and I'll and let it be known that like I haven't played a lot of beat 'em ups like modern ones just because you know I I just always didn't really find them that interesting. So like, why would I check out Scott Pilgrim or River City Girls and stuff? So for all I know, like you know, they probably addressed a lot of the issues I had with them in the beginning, but they just felt kind of boring and repetitive. And a lot of them, you know, they were arcade games. They weren't meant to be, like, you're going to lose inevitably and just beat it with coins. And this one, you know, is a beat-em-up. But control-wise, like, because you are playing as a giant monster, it just, it feels how you would expect, like, you know, a slow, lumbering monster to feel. So, at least on that front, like, immersion-wise, I'm like, you know, it, it has me there. And as we learned, like, towards the end of the level, that there's a pretty robust, like, I guess, uh, I guess loadout system, you could upgrade certain abilities of each monster. You could pick what abilities you want on each monster. You could pick what type of monster you want. So, at least for this one, like, you know, I'm willing to, like, overlook that stuff. And, you know, it is by 13am Games and Way Forward, which are two people that, or two studios that I'm a big fan of. So, yeah, I mean, it's as far as, like, beat-em-ups go. I mean, so far, at least from what little I've played, like, I definitely enjoyed that, and I'm looking forward to doing more of it. It does have a cool comic book aesthetic. Like, I mean, beyond yeah. just the game, like the menus, the literally everything. Yeah, it's like thousands of comic books. I mean, between this and this one coming out on PS4 slash PS5, I forgot what it's called, but they showed it off in the last day to play, and that one looked almost like a carbon copy of Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, except without the IP, which is pretty exciting because. Yeah, I've been wanting a game like that since the well, yeah, since it came out. I've been but yeah, wanting one... a sequel to that since we saw Godzilla versus Kong. Like Dang. that fight scene where they're fighting in like neon, whatever city that is. They're fighting neon Tokyo. I don't know whatever it is, but Wakala? um, I... what? No, yeah, what's color? Where, where where was it? That was was it Shanghai? Somewhere? No. Shanghai? No. Neon City, Asia. <laughs> That's where it was. Um, but wherever it was, that fight scene, the whole time I was watching, it's just like, this would be a great level in Destroy All Monsters Melee. <laughs> um, which is funny because you, you know, you're drawing that comparison, Angel. Um, I was saying this to you when we were, when we started playing it, this reminds me of the companion game to Destroy All Monsters Melee that came out on Game Boy Advance. I forgot what it was called. But, um, yeah, that was the 1v1 fighting game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, this is a BM-ups are actually working together, but, like, just aesthetically and everything, it kind of reminded me of it. Did you guys ever play War of the Monsters? I did not, no. Angel? Or a good thing. Mm, no. I feel I like know. you would Maybe love it that game. I don't know, really Look it up know. on YouTube. You, you, I've, it's a kaiju game. I, I feel like you probably love that game. We'll check it okay. out. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, Angel, you're starting to, I feel like you're about to say something about Donald Monsters and we got on like a tangent. No, was it? I thought you were. I thought you said something like, but no, this I, game, I, and then I cut you off. No, I, I feel like I said my whole piece. Oh, okay. Well, so far, I know it's early, 
So the one thing that stuck out to me about it was it's 30 bucks, which I assume is partly length and partly production value. Or do you feel like you're going to get your money's worth or does it seem overpriced? I feel like I'm going to get my money's worth just based on what little I've seen. Fair, fair. Yeah, it, uh, and for those who don't know the name 13AM Games where you said that you're a fan of their work, uh, Runbo on the Wii U is what they're best known. And they did a second game with a secret agent called like Double Crossed or something a few years later, but Runbo's their like, their big, their big title. Oh, this game. I definitely have not played it, but I think I saw posters of it because I'm pretty sure Santa Monica helped out with this game in some way. War of the World? Yeah. War of the Monsters. Or War of the Monsters, I mean. Interesting. Yeah, there's like a giant magnet of it there. Cool. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's available anywhere. Maybe on Steam, hopefully. Uh, I believe it was re-released to PS3 or PS4. But hopefully 4. Because that means that, yeah. Well, if rumors pan out as of this recording, you may have access to some PS3 games pretty soon because Sony is apparently about to announce their Game Pass competitor as soon as this week. Oh, man, all play. they need to do is have Transformers, War, and Fala, Cybertron. That's all I need. And you're in? If I remember correctly, those were all PS now, so you might be able to to grab those. Hmm. So, Angel, what would you, would you consider those kaiju games to some degree? Because they're big robots fighting each other? No. I guess that's fair. Uh, they're, they're like, what, more like third-person shooters? Well, I mean, yeah. War for Cybertron and Fallout Cyber... I mean, they also play in Cybertron, so all the Autobots and the Septicons are, like, scales to each other. It's like a metal oh, yeah, yeah. Call of Duty at that point. Right. And we so were what, on Earth, and your... there were, like, tiny little people running around, and, you yeah. What's the pinnacle kaiju experience for you? Is it Destroy Monsters Melee? Is yeah. Rampage? Uh, that... <laughs> yeah, they haven't. There aren't too many kaiju games from on the top of my head that I have a lot of praise for, except for Destroy All Monsters Melee. Like all the sequels that came after it, just felt like worse versions of it. Actually, you know what? I I said Rampage. Rampage is a decent parallel to Dawn of the Monsters. I mean, Dawn of the Monsters is deeper, but like yeah, it's not the quite feel a of it is it's, Rampage, it's, it's, but it's not quite. Actually, it's kind of its own thing. It's just like a destroy all the buildings. It's a score attack. Yeah, the score ticket. Yeah, that one, that one's fun. I remember playing that a lot on 64 and Game Boy Color. Yeah, Rampage 64, I used to rent that a lot. Yeah. I played as Ralph the most. I believe he was the lizard. No, that's not true. Ralph, Ralph is the a wolf. Ralph is a wolf. Wow, I, I was 0 for 3 with my guesses there. Uh, Iggy is the lizard because it's a right. new Yeah, yeah. I think I played as Iggy then. But I remember the name Ralph. Anyway, that's Dawn of the Monsters, everyone. <laughs> um, I think unless you guys have any other topics that might actually do it for this episode it was kind of not a big news week just a lot of games anything else you guys want to touch on no pretty pretty satisfied alright so I'm going to talk a lot this episode I've, I've got a nasal infection it sucks I hate it so much hopefully you feel better soon and it goes away 
because there may we'll be big see. things to talk about in the future. We could have an Arnon between now and our next episode, or we could have some big games on next episode. I know next episode we're talking about Kirby and the Forgotten Land. We have big impressions on that. Um, but who knows? Who knows what else we'll be discussing? Uh, there, we're due for an indie world at some point in time. Like usually late March, early April is indie. What world. at some point yeah. in time? No, no, no. I mean, like in the next few weeks. Like <laughs> yes, between now and the end of time, we're gonna get not just an indie world, How but I guarantee fightful. you at least one Nintendo Direct. No, but seriously, we usually get an indie world between the third week of March and uh, second or third week of April. So we will probably have one, if not next episode, the episode after that. Um, but yeah, I guess to make sure you don't miss whenever any news ever breaks in the future, because who knows? Um, yeah, subscribe to us on all the podcast apps. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Pandora. Our YouTube channel is RandomNintendo.com, where you can listen to the show there. Uh, we are on Twitter at RandomNintendo. I am on Twitter at JSR7. Angel is on Twitter at Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is on Twitter at KVN Gomi. That's it. So I think that's it. Um, Kevin, final word or many words? Rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins.